National Security This Week, a weekly look at issues affecting America's security concerns, is brought to you by the Cybersecurity Summit. Check out their website at cybersecuritysummit.org for a list of their upcoming webinar series. And now, your host, John Olson. Good morning, everyone. It's Wednesday, and you've joined us for this edition of National Security This Week. We get together every Wednesday at 9 a.m. to discuss national security. We're fortunate enough to be joined by guests from our local area, from around Minnesota, and from across the nation to help us learn more about national security challenges and opportunities. We have a very special show for you today, but before I introduce our guest, I'd like to outline our discussions just a bit. Shortly after Russia invaded Ukraine, the nations of Finland and Sweden applied to join the NATO alliance. Both Finland and Sweden had maintained a neutral stance since NATO's founding and remain neutral even after the end of the Cold War and the collapse of the Warsaw Pact and the Soviet Union. But Russia's aggression towards Ukraine fundamentally changed strategic calculations for both Finland and Sweden. The people and their political leaders in both nations chose to take a stand against Russia and to protect themselves inside the NATO Defense Alliance. Finland was officially admitted to the NATO alliance just a few weeks ago. Acceptance into the alliance requires all member states to approve a new applicant's entry, and Turkey's concurrence was the last nation Finland needed to receive approval to join. However, Sweden has not yet been given the green light. With us to discuss this complex issue and many other topics about Sweden is Ambassador Karin Olofstadter, the Swedish ambassador to the United States, who is visiting Minnesota right now for meetings with Governor Walls and others. Her Excellency Karin Olofstadter took up her post as Ambassador of Sweden to the United States on September 1st of 2017. Ambassador Olofstadter has long been an advocate for Swedish trade and diplomatic relations with the United States. Trade and economic growth remain top priorities for the Ambassador, along with defense cooperation, public diplomacy, and strong collaboration with the international community. Ambassador Olofstadter brings extensive experience in trade promotion to her current post. Prior to assuming her role as Ambassador of the United States, she served as Director General for Trade at the Swedish Ministry for Foreign Affairs. She's also held the position of Deputy Director General and Head of the Department for Promotion of Sweden, Trade, and CSR at the Foreign Ministry. Ambassador Olofstadter is an accomplished diplomat. Her career in the Foreign Service started in 1994 with her first posting to the Embassy of Sweden in Moscow. In the years following, she worked in security policy and defense issues, as well as in numerous leadership posts within the Ministry for Foreign Affairs, including serving as Chief of Staff for several ministers and Director of the Minister's Office. She has also served as part of the Swedish delegation to NATO and at the Swedish EU representation in Brussels, working with European security policy and defense issues. In 2008, Ambassador Olofsson was asked to serve as Deputy Chief of Mission at the Embassy of Sweden in Washington, D.C. She served at that post for three years before starting her first ambassadorial post as Ambassador of Sweden to Hungary in 2011. Ambassador Olofstadter has a strong affection for the United States, having lived, studied, and worked in different parts of the country, including during a high school exchange program, as an undergraduate student at the UCLA Anderson School of Management, and through her various diplomatic postings. Ambassador Olofstadter has a Bachelor of Arts in Psychology, Economics, and Russian. She studied at UCLA's Anderson School of Management, and she speaks French, Russian, and English. Ambassador Karin Olofstadter, it is an honor to welcome you to National Security This Week. Thank you so much for having me. It's a really great honor to be here. So I should say to the uh, to our listeners that we're actually pre-recording this on uh, Monday afternoon, May 1st, 
uh, and you're in town for meetings with uh, Ambassador Walls. You'll be meeting with him tomorrow morning. Is that right? Oh, the governor? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Or with Governor Walls. Yes. No, no, that's all right. Uh, but the main reason is actually to celebrate the fantastic man, uh, Bruce Karstad, who is uh, retiring from the post of director of American Swedish Institute and honorary consul for Sweden, a post that he's had for over 30 years. And I think he is one of... There are many great Americans promoting Sweden in this country, but he is absolutely top-notch. So uh, that's the main reason for coming to town. Okay. Yeah, I had the chance uh, to get to know him as we were organizing for this show, and uh, he is a fantastic, uh, fantastic fellow. Uh, yes. He will certainly be missed. He will be missed. I'm sure he will have a great replacement. So, Ambassador, let's uh, let's go ahead and begin our discussions today. I want to learn a little bit more about Sweden. Now, I, I'm of Swedish heritage, so I know a little bit about it, but I, I'm, I'm proud to uh, uh, to talk about Sweden and uh, to have somebody who really knows Sweden, obviously. Uh, how, okay, let's start with the government. Uh, how is the government in Sweden structured? I know Sweden has a constitutional monarchy form of government. Could you, could you please elaborate and what that means for Sweden. Yes, yeah, so Sweden is a kingdom uh, and has been so for centuries, of course. Uh, but uh, today, since 1973, we had, have um, constitutional monarchy, which means that our king doesn't have any, or the head of state, uh, the next person will be a queen, uh, doesn't have any political power whatsoever. It's a head of state. Uh, it's a person that is extremely important for the unity of Sweden. Also, um, uh, traveling abroad, promoting Sweden abroad, but it doesn't have any political, that person doesn't have any political power, as I said. So we have an elected government, uh, we have a parliament with 349 uh, seats, uh, we changed that, I don't know how many decades ago, to be uneven <laughs> number to ease, ease the political decision making, and we have elections every fourth year. Usually we have coalition governments, uh, before the, you know, before the 1990s, during the Cold War, we had for many years, um, the Social Democrats were in power by themselves. But basically, since the last 30, 40 years, it is coalition governments. We had elections in the fall, and uh, we now have a government formed by the Moderate Party, the Conservative Party of Sweden, toge together with the Liberal Party, um, the Christian Democrats, uh, with support of the Sweden Democrats from Parliament. So they are not in the government. So that's how it works, and um, of course, as any government, you have to put forward proposals to Parliament that then gets voted on, and they have a, a tiny majority, uh, that, how do you say, that coalition government, I think with two votes, actually. So the Prime Minister sort of runs the whole show in yes. Sweden? Okay. Yes, yes. And uh, are elections uh, set in advance, or does the Prime Minister call an election? They are like set in advance. Okay. Every fourth year, second Sunday. It used to be every third Sunday of September. I don't know why we, I don't remember right now why we moved it to the second Sunday of September. Uh, but it's a set. Uh, so in that sense, the government cannot play on the political agenda or their opinion numbers. It's a set timing. Okay. Of course, they always an extra election can be pulled, but it has happened very rarely. Okay. So Sweden is well known for having uh, robust, well-funded social programs uh, to provide the people the support they need, if they need it. If they need it. In fact, Sweden is often cited as a model for how well-designed <coughs> and uh, social programs under an effective government uh, actually work to enrich people's lives uh, and their livelihoods. Uh, could you talk a little bit about why Sweden has opted to fund social programs so well and, and how those programs have helped Sweden's economy mm -hmm. 
and, and people. Yeah. If we go back in history, we can actually tie it to uh, the big migration to the United States. Sweden had been in basically every war you could imagine up to 1809 when we lost Finland. We got a new French king uh, or French uh, marshal that we imported to be crown prince of Sweden in 1814. And then eventually when he became king, uh, he realized, he didn't know, I think, from the beginning that he came to a very poor country. Our coffers were basically empty after all those wars. So he decided then to declare Sweden neutral. And that ties actually into the discussion we'll have later on, on our applic uh, applying for NATO membership. Because he wanted to be a peacemaker in Europe, uh, a peace negotiator, and he then thought the country should be neutral. So extremely poor at the time. Uh, then the famines happened, the potato famines and so on happened in Sweden as well. So um, 1860s, you know, 1850s, people started leaving for the United States. One fourth of our population basically left, and many of them, of course, ended up here in Minnesota. Uh, and then later on as well. But what happened was with this poverty, uh, the Swedish church started a um, social program uh, to alleviate poverty. Mm -hmm. So in basically every parish, there was a poverty house, you know, where, where poor people, the precursor to, I guess, retirement home and, uh, and what, what have you. So it started out, and then as it developed, uh, eventually the Swedish state took that over from the church, uh, early 1900s or late 1800s, and it has been developed ever since. And one of the ideas behind the whole social welfare system is that, you know, we're all born equal, everyone should have the same opportunity. So if, if you're rich or poor, you have access to public health care, it doesn't matter who you are, uh, elderly care, child care. Um, if you are uh, unable to pay for your housing, you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't be put on the street. Of course, all this is need. Most of this is need based. Of mm -hmm. course, it's yeah. not just something that you're given. But it's it's uh, so it's social welfare, it's education, and it's also labor market related. <coughs> and the idea behind it is, in a way, very similar to the idea of the United States. No matter who you are, you should have the ability to succeed. So. If you are poor, you should have access to the best education anyway. But we, in here it's scholarships. In my country, it's uh, paid through the tax system, so everyone has access to it. So that's it's. We are one of the most individualistic countries in the world, which surprises many. There's something called the World Cultural Survey. So we are one of the most extreme countries, most individualistic and most secular countries in the world. And our welfare system is built to cater to the individual. Um, so many people have a perception that it's kind of a group, group thinking. Of course, it, it's supposed to raise the whole population, but it is, it's meant for the individual to make most of itself, no, no matter how or where you were born or how, in what, under what circumstances. And also help you if you have tragedy in your life, uh, you should be able to come back. And I actually think that this is one of the reasons why Sweden is one of the most innovative countries in the world. We are number three. I mean, there are so many rankings, but generally we come out Switzerland first, United States second, and we come out as number three. Because through the welfare system, people also dare to take risk. Because you cannot, you can risk, of course, but you cannot completely fall through. Uh, so the combination of, of things, but so... Uh, it's been a program that's been going, as I said, through the church, uh, Swedish church, since the mid-1800s up till today. It has challenges, of course. Uh, healthcare is always a big political issue, funding for it, access to it, and so on. 
Uh, same goes for um, education. Is our school system good enough? Uh, just like the United States, we have been falling behind uh, in some areas. Uh, and uh, every, every government in Sweden is trying to reform so that we you know, improve this because education is, of course, paramount to what we do. When it comes to research, as I said, and innovation, we are top of top ranked in the world. So we, our education system must do something good if we are not particularly intelligent. <laughs> I don't think we're more intelligent than anyone else. But, you know, there's something there that, that's going, uh, go doing well. So uh, all this is paid through our tax system. Um, and most people uh, pay about 30% income tax. Uh, if you're like mid-income, mid uh, then uh, the employer also pays another additional 28 on top of your, of your salary. And we have a very high VAT. So we have a VAT of about 25%. That's, except that's on value-added tax. Value-added tax, exactly. Uh, on on um, food, it's, I think, 5 or 6%. So, so that's much lower. And on books, actually. Uh, but so VAT is high. So it's a tax on consumption. Yeah, that's uh, that's a really good. So we have uh, another show that we have on this uh, radio station called uh, Public Policy this mm -hmm. week, and one of the one of the things we've addressed a couple of times is, yeah. is taxes. Mm -hmm. What is the tax structure for? Yeah. You know? I think one of the you know most maybe interesting features that could be interesting for Americans, which I, I know this is a huge discussion here, is of course childcare, mm. and uh, and through this system of ours, we get 480 days of paid parental leave. And it's uh, one parent has to take three months, and that's going to be on targeted toward the men who don't take as much as women. And if you if one parent doesn't take those three months, you actually lose it, mm. uh, so the other parent can't take it over. So that's try to push for more uh, equal uh, par parenting of, of the children. But this means that we have fairly high um, demographic numbers. And uh, it's possible for women to work. We have ha very high uh, labor participation of women. It also uh, comes from uh, us not having joint taxation. We have individual taxation. And that really, when that changed in the 70s, it made women go out to the labor market. So uh, high participation of both men and women, um, plus then this child care, which makes it possible for, for parents to be home for the first 18 months with their ch child. And then... For most of the people, we have a, a childcare system which people trust. Mm. So it, I think that's one of the most maybe interesting features of our social welfare system. That 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 is a comprehensive coverage. Thank you uh, for giving us all those details. Uh, I, I would ask, uh, you know, he, you've been ambassador to the United States for quite some time. You see the political uh, struggles that we have here in the United States. It sounds to me like the citizens of Sweden. Uh, have fully bought into this system that they recognize the benefits uh, nationwide and to, to all their fellow citizens. Yes, so so that's not a political debate. I mean, as I said, we have uh, the child care system. We have also uh, an elderly care system. My, my father just passed away, but before he passed, he had home care. So uh, he had help six times a day uh, at home. Or there's also, uh, you know, uh, old nursing homes for elderly and so on. And this, the system as such is not questioned politically. It's more like the level of taxes sometimes, but then it's a percentage. It's not huge differences when the political parties are debating. It, it can also be, there's a debate now, for instance, if, if you are uh, living on some kind of subsist subsistence allowance, is that so high and the minimum wage 
too close that it doesn't drive people to go out into the labor market. That's, for instance, a political debate we're having right now. How do we get more people into the labor labor department uh, uh, labor area, and particularly also for Swedes, new Swedes or immigrants who are coming to our country? How do we make them get into the labor market faster? Mm. So those are the kinds of discussions we are having, but. There's no re- debate on the system as such. Okay. I think we're quite proud proud of what we have created in a way. Okay. Uh, so for our audience, you're listening to National Security This Week here on KYMN Radio, and I'm your host, John Olson. Our guest today is Ambassador Karin Olofsdottir, Sweden's ambassador to the United States, who is making an official visit to Minnesota. We're sponsored by the Cybersecurity Summit, and you can learn more at www.cybersecuritysummit.org. Uh, so, Ambassador Olofsson, what, what are the core elements of Sweden's economy? Uh, what is Sweden best known for regarding exports, and what do you need most with regard to imports? Uh, is there an industrial specialization in Sweden, uh, or is your economy pretty well balanced across many sectors? Well, first of all, uh, there's a misconception sometimes here in the United States because of our welfare system that we just talked about. Uh, people think we're some kind of socialist uh, <laughs> society, and that's absolutely not true. We are... Uh, capitalistic society with a welfare state so you know uh, we are a very strong market economy Um, we always rank extremely high on the doing business uh, indexes globally and as I said earlier we're one of the most innovative countries in the world we are actually the 13th largest investor in the United States and when it comes to population we're like number 90 we're 10 million people so with these figures you realize what kind of economic footprint we have. We have a lot of multinational companies that are household names even in in the United States, H&M, where a lot of people buy clothes, Uh, Ericsson, of course, Telecom Area, Volvo Trucks, which actually owns Mack Trucks, to the surprise of many Americans. I did that. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Uh, No, it's an iconic uh, U.S. brand, of course. Uh, Volvo Cars. Uh, Securitas is one of the largest employers of security guards in the United States. That's Swedish. Um, AstraZeneca doing um, uh, pharmaceuticals, etc., etc. So, so we're big. So, for being a very small country or fairly small country, you know, we are dependent on trade, and we have been for uh, basically since the end of the last or the nineteenth uh, century. We had, um, you know, quite large or important innovations at the time. Uh, the telephone by Ericsson, ball bearing, for instance, by SKF, and uh, and uh, other inventions that really propelled our society. And then we were not uh, part of the First World War, and we were not part of the Second World War. So our industry was intact. So a combination of educating our population, which we started doing in the 1860s, also when a lot of people left for America, the politicians of the time realized they had to do something to make people stay so we got en- general education four years in the beginning I think for everyone for all children uh, that was a way to make make also make it more attractive to stay in Sweden but this uh, made our population fairly fairly educated when industrialization came anyway uh, so given this 52 percent of our GDP is actually from trade with others oh. I think it's 25 or something in the U.S. Yeah, that's about, about right. Uh, so, uh, so this is huge. It's huge numbers, and, and we are very strong when it comes to the industrial technology, uh, technological area, so uh, vehicles, machinery, um, as well as uh, well transportation, as I mentioned earlier, Volvo, uh, chemicals, minerals, etc. And on the import side, it's uh, telecom, food, <laughs> 
uh, oil products, uh, and so on. So uh, very broad, but very heavy industrial uh, export side. Is mining big in Sweden? Yes, it is. And we have just found new uh, resources, or how do you say, up north with rare minerals um, that will, I think it will take like, about 10 years to get it on the market but they just uh, found out that and we're also new uh, big in the um, new industrial sectors we have uh, one of the largest battery factories north vault also investing in the united states up north uh, so the whole northern area is booming right now it used to be an area i mean if you look at sweden it's we're the size of california nine million basically live from half and down and one million up north and uh, that was an area that was you know hard with uh, when it came to broadband and 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 uh, loss of jobs etc like many regions in the united states but because of these new findings uh, because of cheap energy uh, a lot of industries are actually being uh, put there right now so sweden has the presidency of the european union right now and we have something called the trade and technological Coun- technology council between the eu and the us and and they will meet in uh, northern parts of Sweden in Luleå, uh, end of May. So Secretary Blinken and, and uh, Secretary Raimondo uh, will, and, uh, and uh, trade reps and Thai will go to the northern parts of Europe uh, for that meeting. We really want to showcase this region because it's an example to many countries what, what can happen uh, with places that have lost a lot of jobs, etc., etc. but it can be revived. So one of the biggest challenges that we're facing here in Minnesota, uh, a lot of, lot of debate has gone on about this, is mining in northern Minnesota mm. for copper and nickel. You've mm. probably caught some of that on the news mm. in Washington, D.C. Uh, I know that uh, Sweden has very strong environmental laws. You're also big on mining. How, how, do, you, how do you balance the two uh, in Sweden? Well, uh, it takes quite a long time to get permits to do these kind of mining operations because you have to take into account the indigenous people's rights and uh, it's actually reindeer herding in those areas most of the time and also the environmental impacts those operations will have. So that's why it takes quite a long time to, to get a permit because we really have to go through this. So it's a balance, I think, between uh, the needs of um, industry and also protecting the environment. So it is complicated like everywhere, but it's, I believe it's, it's right that it's complicated, not complicated, but that you have to do thorough analysis because, you know, we only have one earth <laughs> That's right. and we have yeah. to be careful. But we also need the resources, so you have to find a way to balance this. Yeah. When, when possible. When yes. Possible, yeah. So Sweden, as you mentioned, is part of the European Union. Uh, which means your economy exists inside an organized trade block that reduces or eliminates tariffs and other impediments to free trade both within and, and really outside of the union as well. Uh, how, how would you say Sweden is, uh, or ha- should I say, has Sweden benefited from being part of the European Union from that from an economic perspective? Uh, I mean, do you does the most Swedes see a, a strong benefit to being in the EU? Absolutely, absolutely. Because if you look at the United I mean, we can compare it to the United States. You also don't have borders between your states. Imagine if you had tariffs between your states. Mm. It's what we had in Europe before we joined the European Union. And, and, and uh, this has really eased trade. So uh, the biggest markets we have are um, uh, Norway, Germany. Actually, United States on number, is number three. And then it's Norway, Germany, United States, Finland, Denmark, and the UK. So, you know, we are tra- mostly trading with our closest uh, neighbors 
But, you know, the free movement of goods uh, and labor has made it possible for people to both travel and live abroad, of course, and work somewhere else, but also to attract labor and also to get access to a whole new market with no tariffs. So it has increased our economy by I don't know how many percent, but it's huge. Does that also, being part of the EU, uh, the Schengen system where there are no borders, uh, has that imp- impacted some of the other aspects of Swedish life with migration moving around? Yes, opinion? yes, uh, yes, of course. Uh, we had a couple of years ago and still um, uh, quite a lot of people coming from other parts of Europe who were, um, do you say beggars in Sweden, in English, who were sitting outside, you know, asking mm-hmm. for money and so on. And they came from parts of Europe where it was very poor. It was mainly Roma population from, from Romania. Uh, and of course, we wish that you know the economic situation should be such in that country that they felt that they could stay at home. Uh, also, uh, when it came came to migration, um, uh, when you know the big crisis of war hit in Syria in 2015, uh, the bulk of people came to Germany and Sweden because of the uh, you know there are various degrees of how much support you get in each country, and of course. Uh, people are, of course, clever and smart, and you want to go where you, where it's the best for you. So we had a huge inflow, and w- there is a debate now within Europe, which we are also really pushing for uh, equal burden sharing. We all must help out in these, you know, uh, times of crisis, and we, when people are fleeing, it can't be just some countries that take the bulk of this uh, responsibility, because we want to help, but it has to be feasible numbers, and then other countries has to do their part as well. So it's a, uh, it, within the European Union, the governance structure of the European Union, there's a there's a strong move to sort of balance, uh, to look at the eth- the uh, uh, w- w- the uh, moral and uh, ethical responsibilities of taking care of fellow human beings. Yes, so I think we all agree in Europe that uh, this is something we, of course, must do and should do. Uh, it's our responsibility. But how do we make it uh, even? Uh, how do we make all countries take responsibility? And all of these issues are, are really part of, uh, they all fall under the umbrella of, uh, of security. Yes, uh, of, of course, yes. Issue. And, sure. of course, yeah. humanitarian issues, but also security, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. But I must say that, you know, being a member of of, uh, of the European Union and having the single market is has done a lot. It, it creates a lot of jobs. 800,000 jobs are directly from the single market, us being part of the single market, and also 60% of our trade. So it's it's paramount for our economy. Hmm. Uh, so we have to take just a very short break uh, to recognize our sponsor. Uh, we will be right back. National Security This Week is sponsored by the Cybersecurity Summit. The Cybersecurity Summit brings together cyber experts from industry, academia, and all levels of government to explore challenges, solutions, and opportunities in the cyber arena. The three-day summit includes speakers, workshops, discussions about advancing a cyber career, and keynote addresses by top leaders from across the cyber community. Learn more at cybersecuritysummit.org. And we're back on National Security This Week. I'm your host, John Olson, and our guest today is Ambassador Karin Olofsdottir, the Swedish ambassador to the United States, and uh, she's on a visit to Minnesota. Uh, Ambassador Olofsdottir, I'd like to turn to discussions about NATO. I want to tap into your expertise on the security side of things. Uh, Thank you for everything you've talked about so far on the show with regards to uh, governance, uh, a little bit of the diplomacy side, and certainly the economic side on on Sweden. 
what what drove Sweden's decision to apply for NATO membership? Well, it was the brutal, unprovoked attack of Russia on its neighboring country. Um, of course, we saw uh, uh, already in 2014 uh, uh, the attack on Crimea, uh, which was, was which was of course extremely serious. But uh, what we saw now, a year ago, more than a year ago, was uh, of a dimension that we didn't think would happen in Europe. Mm -hmm. And that made us realize, uh, and going back to what I talked about earlier, our history, after 208 years of neutrality and military being militarily non-aligned, we had to change our security policy. And if you look at the map, you if you look at the Baltic, you have then Norway, Sweden, and then you have Finland. And uh, the debate started first in Finland, if they should join. And our security is, you know, through history, interlinked with that of Finland. And um, uh, when they they decided to, to, to have a debate, uh, it was decided we should have a debate about it in Sweden as well. And we, you know, in four or five months had a debate that changed our policy that we've had for over 200 years. So you realize how serious uh, this is. Having said that, ever since the end of the Cold War, you know, before the, during the Cold War, we were in a lot of United Nations operations around the world. So just because we have been military non-aligned and neutral, it didn't mean that we didn't take part in military operations. We had a huge military. During the Cold War, we were up to 4% of GDP on spending. And, you know, we have our own de uh, defense industrial complex. We build our own fighter jets, our submarines, our fighter, you know, uh, corvettes, uh, weapons, etc. So... During the Cold War, to make that believable, we had to also grow our own industry. Uh, so nobody could accuse us of favoring one or the other markets. Of course, we were much more interlinked with, <laughs> with, with the NATO allies uh, than maybe was known at the time, but that was the case. Anyway, so, and then during the 90s, uh, when uh, the Soviet Union fell apart, we joined Partnership for Peace with NATO, and we also joined the European Union, <coughs> which was maybe in a way... Uh, a bigger decision at the time uh, to, to integrate into the European Union and that's when we scrapped neutrality because we realized we couldn't be neutral as a member of the European Union we were still military non-aligned so over the years we have enhanced our partnership to NATO so we were together with Finland uh, enhanced partners so as close as you could be without being members we have been in every NATO operation uh, that has been Afghanistan for instance the last one we uh, also uh, have a very, very close relationship to the United States, uh, militarily. Um, uh, for many years, uh, we have a memorandum, we exercise, we develop uh, industrial capabilities, defense industrial capabilities together, etc. But then this happened, uh, and it was decided by the Swedish uh, politicians and the population that we should uh, ask for um, membership uh, in NATO. So we handed in our membership application in May last year. And uh, now Finland has become a member since a month ago. And uh, we are still waiting for us to be finally accepted. But uh, we really live up to all the criteria for membership. And we were joking that, uh, you know, membership action, there's something called membership action plan in NATO. Usually that takes a year or two. For us, it took like an afternoon. <laughs> That's how, you know, how advanced our technology is, how integrated we are in the NATO system and and you know uh, uh, everything we have is interoperable otherwise we couldn't have done all these partnerships and been in all those operations over the years but um, we are still waiting for the full acceptance of of, uh, of, of the members um, in NATO and we hope that that will happen to the NATO summit in Vilnius this summer 
Uh, so I know that uh, Sweden used to have conscript service. Do you mm-hmm. still have conscript we service? We have reintroduced it. Okay. We scrapped it about eight, ten years ago. Uh, but, you know, so so we had, you know, uh, when the Soviet Union fell, we all thought it was a bright new world. We could not dismantle our defense, but cut cut down quite a bit. So the it, end of the it, 90s. It was a bright new world yeah, for a was, while. Yeah, it was, it was. <laughs> And at the end of the 90s, I think we were down to 1% of defense spending. And then gradually we realized that that was way too low. So we have gradually been building up uh, since then. And we have decided to go for 2% till 2026. And uh, so uh, head of the army was here the other week and he's on a shopping spree, as we say, <laughs> in the United States. No, but, it, you know, so also uh, we, we left the conscript army, which we had had, you know, since forever. But then realized that it wasn't enough. We couldn't attract enough uh, soldiers and troops for this. So we went back to conscript army. It's not at all at the size of what it was during the Cold War. Uh, If you have about 50,000 young men uh, each uh, year, now we count girls as well. So you have uh, about 100,000 18-year-olds every year. Uh, Out of those, only about 6,000 do the military service. So... um, it's it's not at all as big as it was, and it's going to increase. And there's actually a political debate in my country now if we should also have a civil service mm. as well. But we'll see. But it's uh, it's quite popular among young ch- youngsters now to do uh, military service, and unfortunately, the war in Ukraine has helped <laughs> in that sense. People feel that it's important to to be part of this. So there's sort of like a cultural connection there for young people to realize that, you know, they they are asked to serve, to mm. serve their country. They do so m- yes. more than willingly at this yes. point. Yes. So they realize that they are actually taking a stake in the future of Sweden. Yes, absolutely. And also, most of them have fathers who have been done military service. So a lot of them remember or know about this. It wasn't, the gap wasn't that long when we didn't have the conscript army. Yeah. And also more and more uh, young women are also uh, part of the military service. Yeah. Uh, so Finland, uh, you both you both applied at the same time. Yes. Finland has been approved by mm. all of the NATO member states, and the Finnish flag now flies at uh, at NATO headquarters. Uh, I, I'm certain Sweden will eventually be approved as well. Mm. In fact, I have a uh, one of my uh, background documents that I had here. Uh, the U.S. Uh, 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 Defense Secretary says he's certain. Yes. Sweden will be admitted by July. Mm-hmm. I was part of that visit to Stockholm, <laughs> okay, actually, okay. when he said that. Well, that was very nice of him. Uh, uh, but there's a little bit of an impediment right now, mm-hmm. uh, and it's, it's specifically from, from Turkey. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you explain to our listeners what Turkey's issues are uh, with Sweden's membership application to yes. NATO? Yes. I, uh, and I know it's a very complex issue, mm-hmm. so t- I'll try to make it as simple as possible. No, no. No, uh, no. no but what... what uh, Turkey was concerned uh, with uh, when we were wanted to join. I mean, you have to look at secu- security in a holistic way. It's not just military. So Turkey was concerned about uh, terrorism, financing of terrorism uh, in Sweden and Finland, mostly in Sweden, I should say. Uh, so we, uh, to, to, to lessen the concerns of Turkey, we went into a memorandum of understanding with Turkey and Finland last summer where there were things that we should, you know, talk about and cooperate on. And it's everything from uh, arms sales, and we are now selling arms to uh, military equipment to Turkey. It's about increasing uh, cooperation uh, with our uh, security services to, you know, look into terrorism activities. Uh, 
So we are doing that. Uh, so we have fulfilled everything in, in the memorandum. We are even changing our constitution to make it illegal to be a member of a terrorist organization. Uh, and uh, that uh, change of constitution comes into effect on the 1st of June. Mm. So uh, the cooperation with Turkey on this matters, they, it doesn't stop with this memorandum. This is a forever ongoing cooperation with Turkey that we will have, uh, and which we want to have, of course. But we feel that we have now met the obligations that the Turks asked for. So we are really hoping that uh, once our law has come into place 1st of June, that this will be recognized by the Turkish authorities or uh, Turkish government and that we will be member uh, by the Vilnius summit. And it is important for us to, uh, to not wait too long because it's, we are in a security vacuum. We have gotten assurances from a lot of countries, uh, very generously so from the United States, but it's not the same as being a member. And now when Finland is a member, you know, as I said earlier, our security is, is interlinked with Finland. We have for a long time been as close as you can be without, you know, we have been down to operational planning. And now uh, NATO is uh, starting its uh, defense, new defense planning cycle, and of course Finland is included in that. If, you know, it's still just a couple of months more, it's not really a problem for Sweden, but if this drags on, this will be a problem. And um, yeah, we are concerned and we really think that we have, we believe and we think, we know, we have done everything to meet the criteria for membership and we will be a very strong partner and ally in, in NATO. We have, if you look at the map, we are the missing two pieces in the, now the only missing pieces, piece in the puzzle up north for the defense of Northern Europe. And as I've told, uh, I met about 50 senators last uh, in, in Washington last year to advocate for the, you know, ratification in the in the U.S. Senate. And I told them that, you know, we know that the focus of the United States uh, is, of course, China in the long run. And as your security strategy says, China is the pacing threat and Russia is an acute threat. And of course, we are extremely grateful for all the support of the U.S. to to the fight in, in Ukraine or the Ukrainians fight. But uh, having said that, you know, uh, if your overall focus is China, of course, when we join the alliance, we bring capabilities to Northern Europe uh, that can uh, not alleviate, but you know, we're a strong partner up there. Uh, and, uh, and I think this will play well into how you look at your force postures around the globe. So um, yes, sooner rather than later. So we should be honest about the fact that uh, Turkey has dealt for decades with uh, with serious terrorism challenges inside their Absolutely. country. Absolutely. And so, uh, you know, President Erdogan is looking out for his yeah. national interest yes. when he, with regard to this particular issue. Absolutely. And we, we really see that. And we see the concerns of Turkey. And, uh, you know, lately we have uh, been able to catch... Uh, people who are financing, ter you know, PKK uh, operations from Sweden. So we take this very seriously, and we do really understand the concerns of Turkey. Uh, so as I said, we we believe we have fulfilled the, uh, the memorandum, and we are looking forward to a long, long-term cooperation with Turkey on these very important matters. So what does Sweden kind of bring to the NATO alliance? Can you be a little more specific about some of the capabilities? Yes. Um, uh, you've been a partner for peace for many years. Mm -hmm. uh, from the date of the announcement, there have been lots of uh, exercises that are being yep. done uh, in Sweden uh, with NATO troops. 
uh, I served alongside Swedish personnel in Bosnia and mm-hmm. in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I know uh, the professionalism of the Swedish military. Uh, but full membership brings a whole new security dimension to what Sweden sort of offers the alliance. Could you yes. talk a little bit more about well, that? Well, first, as I was talking about earlier, the missing piece in the puzzle, just look at geography. If you look at, you know, Norway on the west coast, west of Sweden, and then you have our big, big territory, uh, and then you have the Baltic Sea, and then you have Finland and the Baltic States. So if you add our territory, of course, you have totally different possibilities to defend uh, that landmass uh, and the Baltic. And also the Baltic Sea basically becomes a NATO sea. Russia will have its port in St. Petersburg and Kaliningrad, but that's it. So we will have much better control together uh, on activities in our region. So uh, territory is one. Second is uh, our military capabilities. We are really state of the art when it comes to military technology. As I said, we build our own fighter jets. Uh, We uh, tailor make submarines for the Baltic. Uh, we have lots of armaments, uh, some which are extremely popular here. I don't know what it's called in English, but this um, grenade. Um, the Carl Gustav. Yeah, the Carl Gustav, <laughs> extremely popular in the yes. United States. You know, we sell a lot here. Uh, very we popular have, in yes, Ukraine right now. Too. Yes, very popular in Ukraine. <laughs> Uh, we were joking, you remember when they got them first, that we should have sent with them an IKEA brochure on how to use it. <laughs> but the Ukrainians are very smart, so they they realized how to operate it very quickly. No, so we uh, so we come with a you know state of the art military industrial complex, highly educated and skilled armed forces which are growing. We're also building new regiments actually on the west side in Sweden. And it's not because we think the Norwegians will attack us. It's so to make it easier for troops to come through the west, uh, you know, through Norway and over Sweden and in. So we are doing a lot to enhance our military capabilities. So as I said, we are uh, aiming for 2% uh, in 2026, which is very fast if you compare to uh, many members in the alliance. So we bring a lot of things and we also have when we do something, we do it very seriously. And we have you know, really see this 360 perspective in NATO that we are now going in to be a partner to or mem- ally to all NATO members. So we're trying to figure that out, what that actually means for us, looking at, for instance, Southern Europe, Western Europe, and so on. So it's, uh, it's a huge undertaking, uh, we think, on our behalf. Um, and we think we really bring something to the table. I have two follow-up questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one, uh, you had mentioned that uh, Sweden sort of gave up uh, being kind of non-aligned when you joined the European Union. Yeah. I know that the European Union has had their own uh, sort no, of... No, we gave up neutrality. Neutrality. This is me. the finer echelon of security <laughs> policy, and I know that you know that. Maybe the listeners don't know that. <laughs> but when, when uh, the European Union has sort of security policy, mm-hmm. there have been forced, there, you know, there is forced structure there. Uh, for a European Union defense. Uh, is that move sort of, uh, has it been overcome by events now that uh, Finland and Sweden are joining NATO? Well, I think it's two different things uh, because all the contributions that you see to the European Union, they are the same as to NATO because one country has one set of troops. It's not like we sit there with two sets of troops, that one, one that goes to the, or military capability, one that goes to the European Union and one go, that goes to NATO. It's the same. Mm-hmm. But of course, the commitment in NATO for defense is much stronger than the one in the European Union. 
But the European Union can be used for crisis management operations. It can be used for... Um, uh, we also, also when the United States doesn't want to take part, for instance. Uh, we also have defense capabilities, innovation projects when it comes to uh, development of military technology and so on because of the industrial bases that are also connected to us as EU members. So it's kind of the same but different. Uh, and of course, uh, the NATO alliance is, is what's central to the defense and the security. Uh, then uh, the European Union is more of, of a crisis management capability. And also what the European Union brings is civil crisis management. Mm. And I think many people don't think about that, but you basically need an army of mayors in countries. You, I mean, you were in the, in the Balkans. Mm -hmm. uh, civilian crisis management is paramount for security. If you don't have you know, waste management, if you don't have water and sewage, if you don't have uh, running of municipalities, it's very easy to... Not easy, of course, but uh, the risk is higher that you end up in a in a tense situation. Uh, so, so this is also paramount both to rebuilding of societies, but also preventing crisis. And that's where the European Union is also very strong yeah. and has different capabilities than NATO. Yes. Uh, so my second follow-up question, uh, before we jump into one of the big topics today, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, I'd like to dive into that a little more detail with you. But... Uh, I've heard this term used many times. You used it yourself, uh, the idea that the Baltic becomes sort of a NATO lake. Uh, we say that in jest mm -hmm. uh, because the NATO alliance is a defense alliance. Yes. It's, it only exists to make sure that everybody is secure and safe. Yes. Uh, only challenged when somebody were, you know, another country were to attack one of the members mm -hmm. of the NATO alliance. And so Ru Russia is probably feeling the, the effects <laughs> of mm -hmm. making this decision to invade Ukraine. Uh, there's a great, uh, a, a great phrase that was used. I can't remember the exact term, but it, the, the Finlandization of NATO was the goal, but uh, the NATOization of Finland is what actually happened yes. uh, to Vladimir Putin yes. with this decision. Uh, so having all of these NATO members on the, uh, all the coastal areas of the Baltic shouldn't be seen as we're trying to block or contain or control the Russians, but it does present the Russians with a, a bigger security uh, conundrum should they decide to be aggressive. Is yes, that, is that a good way yeah. to frame that? Yes, I would say so. And, you know, every, every country has the right to choose its own security policy. We're mm -hmm. all sovereign states. Nobody can tell another country what to do or not to do. But, and of course, just because we want to join NATO doesn't mean... Now the alliance thought that was a good idea, uh, but you know, so it's it's our sovereign choice what kind of security policy setup we want to have. Then, of course, we have to be welcome in that setup where we want to be. Mm -hmm. But you know, if we have chosen to be military on, on the line, that's our choice. If we want to join NATO, that's our choice. It's not for a third country to have any views on. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's extremely important. And that, of course, goes for Ukraine uh, as well. We're all sovereign states. So, um, yes, it's our joining NATO is not against Russia. It's because what we have seen has happened. In, it's by, in a way, an insurance policy. Mm -hmm. Hopefully nothing will ever happen. Uh, hopefully the war will be over. Uh, over and, uh, and, um, uh, but it is a very serious development we have seen in our neighborhood. So we just felt that we want to have this insurance and we want to contribute to that building of that insurance. Mm -hmm. So we should talk a little bit more about Russia's invasion of Ukraine. It was, it was really the catalyst for Sweden to apply for full NATO membership. 
inside Sweden, how, how is the Russian invasion viewed? Uh, Sweden has been spending or sending significant arms shipments, uh, among other aid items, uh, to the people of Ukraine since the invasion in February of last year. Uh, Sweden has also had some of your own challenges uh, with the former Soviet Union uh, with regard to maritime security. Uh, uh, was it uh, Gotland has yes. been a significant issue? Um, and some contests of will with the Russian Navy in the, in the immediate past, or Russian submarines predominantly, I should say. What are Sweden's greatest security concerns Concerns vis-a-vis Russia? Well, uh, I wouldn't say that we are really worried that there would be a military attack from Russia. What we are more worried, what, what, more what we see is cyber and hybrid threats right now. Uh, which of course makes uh, um, and we're all this you know advanced technologically uh, a technologically advanced societies for instance Sweden is a cashless society mm. last year uh, I think it was last year well maybe the year before there was a big uh, attack on a kind of uh, payment system and it was global but it affected 800 uh, food stores in Sweden like our Safeway basically Ooh. for one week you, they couldn't, uh, because they don't take cash, <laughs> the cash registers didn't work. Those Th- kinds that, of That would be a crisis. That would be a crisis. Now I don't know if that's attributed to Russia, but it's just an example of threats, you know, that makes us very, that makes our societies vulnerable. So I think we are more worried about that uh, right now, but of course we want to make sure that through building a strong collaboration with NATO allies that, you know, this will deter anyone, Russia or should it be anyone else, also to attack us eventually. I mentioned Gotland. Yeah. Uh, what, what is the security situation there? Well, it's, uh, I would say, good. <laughs> right now we've had uh, one of the largest exercises, uh, Aurora, where U.S. troops also has taken part, also in Gotland, all of Sweden actually, and in Nordic countries. Uh, so we have, um, as I said earlier, during the Cold War, we spent about 4% of our GDP on defense. And, of course, Gotland was heavily defend, you know, armed and uh, protected and so on. Then that went down in the 90s. But now we have uh, reestablished uh, regiments on Gotland, and it's one of our most strategic uh, locations. So if you, look at the, you know, if you look at the Baltic Sea, Gotland is really important uh, when it comes to security in the Baltic. And it's been over centuries. Is there is there still a little bit of uh, friction there with uh, with Finland? No, on Gotland. No, I think you're thinking about Åland. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, that's I think right. uh, no, 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 absolutely <laughs> not. We have a consul there, and uh, okay. yeah. All right. But that's also strategically important location, of course. Yes. So there are uh, submarine cables that run all over the world. Yeah. And I know that there are uh, some very important submarine cables that run to Gotland. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have seen. In other places around the world, uh, Taiwan, for example, I'm not going to ask you to you know, tell me about Taiwan specifically, mm-hmm. uh, but we know that uh, the PLA Navy and, and some of the assets that the, that the Chinese have have purposefully cut some of those submarine cables. Mm-hmm. Uh, are there any concerns for, for Gotland for uh, things uh, that the Russians have been doing in, in reprisal? Well, uh, the head of the Swedish Marine uh, or Navy just went out and said, you know, there has been activities that we have detected um, or seen. And so, of course, those cables are always of concern because that's where our, you know, how we are connected. Uh, both, I mean, when it comes to, uh, to Internet and, and a lot of other things. So those cables are things that we really must be even more, how do you say, concerned about in the future. And it, 
they make us vulnerable, of course. Yeah. But we have to have it's R what we have. Right, I don't know right. when they put down the transatlantic cable. Is it 150 years ago or something? <laughs> Quite a long time yeah. ago. Uh, so Sweden and Finland, along with Norway and Denmark, have been uh, discussing creation of a unified air defense system, a network. Yes. Uh, essentially integrating all the combat aircraft across your nations to coordinate better, train together more effectively, and to create a stronger deterrence against aggression. Uh, Sweden seems to be in the middle, obviously, geographically speaking, of that concept. How does that air defense idea benefit Sweden? And, and from your knowledge, how, how will it work? Well, it's quite a new idea. Uh, and I think it's a brilliant idea because together, uh, Sweden, Norway, Finland and Denmark, we will have 200 fighter, 250 fighter jets. That's equivalent of what the UK or France has. Uh, so it's quite uh, you know, a force to reckon with. Also, we will look at our territory in that sense as without borders. Uh, we will also have joint um, uh, radar and uh, helicopters, air defense. Uh, I mean, to use it jointly in, in, a, in a much stronger and more deep way. So I think this will create a strength that has not been seen in this region before. So that is a great contribution to NATO, actually, and to, to the other allies. So this is something that will be elaborated, I think, uh, uh, 2024 is what we're looking at to have it really up and running but of course being developed all the time and uh, we are now um, uh, you know spending more on our developing our air force it is strong as it is but we will uh, by ourselves have in a couple of years 120 fighter jets uh, so that's quite and they're all homemade <laughs> <laughs> but the, I must tell the American listeners 50% of the content is American oh, so it right. really benefits your industrial <laughs> complex as well it creates a lot of jobs uh, in the United States and, and we know that today uh, in modern combat air power is vitally important as a totally integrated part yes. of, uh, of combat operations so as a deterrent factor, having that many combat jets uh, available to use mm. in, a, in a really thought out, well thought yeah. out uh, defensive posture, mm. that is a great deterrent. It is. It really is. So we're down to just a few minutes remaining in the show today. I always try to make sure that I give my, uh, my guests uh, sort of the final word. Uh, we've covered Sweden's governance. Uh, we've covered uh, economics. We've, we've been talking about security uh, opportunities and challenges. Uh, what, what final thoughts would you like to leave with our listeners uh, this morning about uh, regarding Sweden? No, but I guess many of the listeners on this radio show is from Minnesota. And for those of you who haven't been to Sweden or the Nordic countries, really do come and visit. Uh, you know, right now, uh, unfortunately, our currency is quite weak, but the dollar is very strong. So uh, you get a lot uh, for your money's worth if you come. And, you know, we have fantastic scenery, fantastic uh, nature. Uh, we're top of the line when it comes to creative uh, restaurants and cooking. And it's we are very exotic. You will recognize yourselves, of course, uh, if you are from Minnesota. But, but still, it's really something. And, you know, uh, big, nice capitals, Copenhagen, Stockholm, Helsinki and, and Oslo. A uh, lot of nature, you know, Sweden is the size of California, but only 10 million people and 400,000 moose. You can actually go on a moose safari, which I was at last summer. Uh, okay, it's fun to see giraffes, but moose are also quite uh, intriguing animals. No, but there's lots to see and do, and I think you should really come and experience it for yourself. And, and we love Americans. We have most <laughs> McDonald's per capita outside <laughs> the United States. We're the first ones to take on American culture, music. We love basically everything about the United States. 
So I really hope you all will come and visit us. Before we came on the air, uh, we were talking about the moose camera, uh, the moose crossing, yes. moose migration. Yes. Can you tell yeah, us a yeah, bit no, more about that? A fantas- <laughs> if, you, uh, if you log into svt.se, that's Swedish television, svt.se, they have a program called the, the Large or Big Moose Migration. And there's a particular river, river in the north of Sweden where moose have been uh, crossing basically same time of the year for thousands of years, exactly the same location. And uh, about 20 cameras have been put up there. So it's, it's what they call slow TV. Uh, and you uh, put it on, and if you're lucky, you will see the moose come over. Otherwise, you will just wait and see the beautiful scenery. It's very con- contemplative, or how you say it in English. Yep, yep. But I can highly recommend uh, the, the big moose migration on svt.se. Uh, so, Ambassador Olofstadter, uh, we had mentioned in the beginning that you were uh, an exchange student here in the United yes. States. Where were you? I was in Egg Harbor Township, New Jersey, All southern right. Jersey. Okay. You didn't pick up a South Jer- South Jersey accent. Maybe I did then. It's a long time ago <laughs> okay. now. It's actually 40 years ago this okay. year that I left uh, for, for New Jersey. Uh, before we close out, uh, are there any resources you might highlight for our listeners so they can learn more about Sweden? Yes. Uh, there's a site called Sweden Abroad. Uh, where you can get a lot of information and then the Swedish Institute has a great web page where you can uh, get a lot of facts about Sweden so please do uh, do go on the I think it's called yeah if if you google the Swedish Institute you will find the web page it's really good and you're here to say uh, goodbye to Bruce Karsted who's been heading up Yes, one of the most fantastic Minnesotans or Americans ever I would say Bruce has been instrumental in the in the relationship between Sweden and and the United States. He served as our honorary consul here uh, for uh, 35 years. He's been head of the American Swedish Institute. And if you haven't visited it, please come and see it. It's an amazing place for for Swedish, Swedish American culture. That's up in South Minneapolis. Yes. Yes, Yes, and they have a lot of courses there. You can learn sourdough baking and (laughs) Swedish handicraft. And many times I feel that Americans, um, you know, cherish their heritage so much more. I think there are many more young Swedish Americans here who are into Swedish culture or folk culture than maybe young kids in Sweden. (laughs) So it's fantastic. So thank you so much for keeping our traditions live and kicking. So Sweden's ambassador to the United States, Karin Olofstadter, thank you so much for your time today. Well, thank you so much for having me. Tack så mycket. And that closes this edition of National Security This Week. I'm your host, John Olson. Thank you for joining us today here on KYMN Radio. Look forward to sharing time with you again next Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. Thank you for listening to National Security This Week. Have a great finish to your week, everyone. Take care. You've been listening to National Security This Week, a weekly look at issues affecting America's security concerns with host John Olson. It's brought to you by the Cybersecurity Summit. Check their website, cybersecuritysummit.org, for a listing of their upcoming webinar series.